This is Iron Mike Stedman. And as always, I want to thank you for tuning into my show, the legendary Dog Whistle Brandon. On this episode of DWB, I share what I learned about brand loyalty from my favorite local bar and barbershop. Before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to my newsletter at the link in the show notes. Other than that, Gunny, take it away. Yo, saddle up, lock and load. You're listening to Dog Whistle Branding, brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media and Mission Plus, where together we're building the next generation of confident, resilient, and badass entrepreneurs and brands to keep you in the fight and not face down in a rice paddy. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the godfather of Dog Whistle Branding and founder of Ironbound Media. Before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes or visit our website, dogwhistlebranding.com to stay up to date on all things DWB. All right, get out your pen and paper and get ready to build a dog whistle brand. Saddle up, lock and load. What is going on, y'all? If you listened to the last episode of Dog Whistle Branding, you're probably thinking to yourself, I was cooking, right? I was all excited about our new rebrand, you know, the launch of the website and, you know, this new category of underdogs and misfits, which has been resonating with a lot of people, I might add. But my uh, head of audio, CJ, who produces this show and a lot of our other shows at Iron Bound Media, she told me straight up that I was cooking because I was like in my zone. You know, solo episodes can be a huge lift. Takes a lot of tries to get it right. But that was a topic I was excited to talk about just because I love branding. I love building badass brands. You know, that's why I actually started this show. That's why I'm doing some stuff with my guy, Drew, one of my co-hosts now. And we're going to be revealing something here pretty soon. But to me, that's my jam. You know, making people give a damn about something you created out of thin air. And I didn't know how it was going to be received by people. But man, as soon as I shared that site with the new uh, brand identity, people start jumping on my calendar. And I've closed a couple clients since. So I'm excited about moving forward with that, not just with Ironbound Media on the underdogs and misfits, but also with my business coaching, signing clients that that resonates with. Literally had on someone today or earlier this week and I asked him, I was like, what made you, you know, reach out? And he said, like, I'm an underdog. He's like, I'm in the industry up against it. You know, people don't want me to win. And when I saw your messaging and your positioning, I was like, you're the guy I need to work with. Same thing for a coaching client I signed this week. You know, and although he doesn't necessarily consider himself an underdog and misfit, he definitely relates with the concept of being one-on-one in a room because that's how I describe that category, right? Veterans, minorities, and anyone else that's used to being one-on-one in a room. If you can relate to that, then in my mind, you're an underdog and misfit. So I'm going to be talking about that more and building out that category more. I'll probably share my point of view on this podcast and in my newsletter. I call it the Misfit Manifesto. So expect that to drop. But today we're going to be talking about brand loyalty. And there's a lot of different ways you can go about it because I think in like Silicon Valley and the tech startup ecosystem, everybody has something to say about brand, you know, consistency, like color schemes, customer experience, like all this stuff, right? But then when I think about small business, I think about loyalty in a sense of like, man, who are the places I've been going to for years, right? Like your favorite diner, right? That like rain, sleet, hell, or snow, right? You go there, you get your little pancakes and your little bacon, et cetera, or your favorite coffee shop. And so, you know, one thing that's cool about, I think what I do and what Drew does is that we still get to have fun, right? Like, obviously, 
there's certain businesses and business models that can compensate you more accordingly. But we also like the, the small business owners, you know, the people out in the street just grinding it out. And so when I think of brand loyalty, I think of two uh, businesses, right? And they're in Harlem and Newark, New Jersey. The first business is a bar uh, in Harlem called Maison Harlem. So it's a French like restaurant slash bar. And I'm going to talk to you about why I love it. And then the second business is a is Ferry Street Barbershop. And it is a family-owned business, been there for damn near like 60 years. But I just started going to them six months ago. And it is like my favorite barbershop in the world. And I go every two weeks. So let me start with Mason Harlem first. So when the pandemic first broke out, you know, everybody was saying New York City's dead, right? And my fiance, Simone, she lives in New York City. She lives in Harlem. And, you know, everybody has something to say. And it's like every movie you see, whenever there's an outbreak, a zombie apocalypse or anything, it's like New York City is not the place you want to be. So a lot of people did end up leaving the city. And I was actually encouraging Simone, hey, you should come to Jersey with me. But, you know, her business was here. And although it had gone virtual because she was doing corporate wellness, similar to what I was doing with the boxing side of the house, she wanted to stay in, in Harlem, right? So I ended up coming to Harlem and spending time with her. And, you know, the first, like, three months of the pandemic, it was, like, super tight, locked down. You know, everything was closed. But then I think around, like, the summertime, they start to open things up a little bit. You were able to uh, grab cocktails from bars. You just couldn't drink them inside, but you could grab them and go. And across the street from where Simone lives was, is Mason Harlem, right? And we had never really spent a lot of time there. I used to ask her, I was like, hey, why don't we ever go to this bar um, or this restaurant? And she goes, yeah, I've been there before, but I didn't really like the food all that much. So I was like, all right, cool, no problem. But once we start to look for things to do, you know, once things were able to open up, look across the street one day and we see a giant like chalkboard sign out in front of Mason where it was like grab and go cocktails and appetizers. So like crab cakes, French fries, little burgers. I forgot what those burgers are called. And we would, we said, okay, let's go check it out one day. So we, we end up walking across the street, going to Maison. We grabbed some sangria and it was amazing. Their sangria is absolutely fantastic, right? They put it in these two little plastic cups for us. And we went for a walk around St. Nicholas Park. And we would do a couple laps and her and I would just kind of talk and just enjoy each other's company, enjoy being outside the house. And we'd drink one sangria, you know, on the walk. And then on our way back, we'd grab another sangria. And then just kind of hang out in front or, you know, just kind of head back to her apartment. And that kind of became our fun routine during the pandemic, right? At least once a week, we would go for walks around the park or walk around the city, you know, just to get out the house. And we would always stop by Maison and grab our sangria. And it was cool at one point because, again, all the stuff is coming in about New York City's being dead. New York City's dead. It's never going to recover. But, man, like back here in front of that bar, they were playing music. You know, there was a, just a positive vibe. And like for me, I understand that like businesses have to innovate. They got to do what they can to kind of, you know, stay alive and stay afloat. But like I felt like they were keeping us alive a lot, too, because like, I mean, those were dark days, right? Being stuck inside all day, not really being able to socialize. But that was like something that I could look forward to. And, you know, when all these other places were closing down, I just kind of felt like they dug in and they served the community. And as a result, the community came out and supported, right? So people were always coming out, you know, buying drinks, buying appetizers, you know, spending money in the community to keep these businesses afloat. And I always tell people this, right? Like, 
if you have a business in your community that you enjoy going to, right, you've got to support it, you know, because I, I didn't want it to go under. And there were some other businesses in Newark that I treated the same way. Like I was actively going there, spending money just because when we came out of this thing, however long it lasted, I wanted them around. But my point with that story of like, you know, grabbing the sangria and eating the appetizers and just kind of having fun, it created an immense amount of brand loyalty with me for Mason Harlem. Now Mason Harlem is my favorite bar in New York City. And when people ask me why, I always go back to the pandemic and what they did and how they showed up. And there's just a vibe to the space, right? And so any chance I get, you know, when we're meeting people in the city, you know, or we're wrapping up a fun night, like I want to go to Mason and I want to have some of their sangria, right? Or some of their other drinks that they have. And it's just, it's just cool, right? It's just cool. And that matter of fact, you know, me and Simone, we went to dinner last night. We had a, had a date last night and we ended up just coming back and grabbing a nightcap at Mason. And we were all the way in East Village and we were considering like, oh, should we grab something around here? And I was like, no, nah, let's just, let's just head back um, to Harlem and go to Mason. And Again, so when I think of that, how do I equate that up? I think that's like an experience thing, right? I think it's also how they showed up for us during the pandemic. And, you know, you never know. People have their own motivation. I'm just saying as like a resident out here, right, and a customer, I really appreciated them and what they did. And I got a sick photo I'm going to share of me drinking some sangria in front of Mason, and I'm going to put it in my newsletter so you can see that, okay? The second story is Ferry Street Barbershop. So I've had the bar, I've had the same barber since I moved to Newark. Shit. He I was with him for like seven years, maybe. And his barber shop was just right around the street from me, where my apartment was in downtown Newark. And I would walk and get my hair cut, et cetera. But you know, a lot of life has changed since then. You know, I became an entrepreneur. I feel like my time is worth so much more now than it was when I was first starting out. And one of my frustrations at time was scheduling appointment. So I would schedule an appointment with him. And sometimes he would show up late or, you know, a lot of times he would show up late. Right. And one time, you know, I scheduled this appointment. I show up and he was like an hour and a half late. And the thing was, it was a situation where if I didn't get a haircut that day, then I was going to have to go to this conference looking jacked up. And so the day was already shot. That time slot was already allocated because like if I had to reschedule, it just wouldn't have worked out. So I ended up waiting. And when he showed up, he was like, just, he just seemed out of it. He wasn't just, he was like FaceTiming someone. I just felt like he wasn't appreciative of my time. And I was just so agitated by it. I remember sitting in that barber chair, getting that haircut, just being so agitated. Because in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, like, These are, this is a grown man at this point. Why do I have to explain to people why this is wrong? You know what I mean? And so I was like, I can't do this. And so I started looking for another barbershop. Well, there's a coffee shop where my old the studio used to be in Newark called Tahana's Cafe. And I would always book my business meetings anytime somebody came to Newark, right, or I had to meet with a client or something, I would do it at Sahana's. And across the street, not too far from Sahana's, was Ferry Street Barbershop, right? And I'll be quite frank, right, like, as an African-American male, you know, I tend to frequent primarily black barbershops. And what designates a black barbershop? It's got a black owner. It's got black, et cetera, right? It's just part of the culture. But Ferry Street was not a black barbershop. But I said, you know what? Let me walk in here and, you know, see what they're about. So I walk in. I meet the owner, Manny. I tell him, I'm, you know, this is my first time here. 
And one of his barbers comes up, introduces himself, and offers me to sit down in his chair so he give me a haircut. So I tell him what I want. I want a number one with a high top, uh, well, number one with a fade, a number uh, with a high fade, and I want to, you know, get my beard cleaned up and trimmed, whatever. And so, you know, I sit down and he starts cutting my hair. And immediately right off the bat, there was a couple of things I noticed. Number one, I look around that barbershop. All of Manny and his barbers were in a uniform, like that old school barber uniform. No one was talking on their phones, right? Everyone was super focused on the task at hand, which is cutting hair. And when my barber was cutting my hair, I'm like watching how meticulous he is with everything, right? He's just focused. It's like in that moment in time, I was the most important thing. Because sometimes you go to barbershops and people are on the phone, they're FaceTiming, like, but I hate it, especially at this age. I'm like 36. I can't be doing that no more. I can't deal with that no more. And so he's like, you know, cutting my hair and doing his thing. And then this is something that depending on where you get your hair cut, like it's still you practice. But I've noticed that some barbers don't do it, which is using a razor blade, too, for certain trim for to trim up. And so, you know, my barber, this new barber I'm working with, uses a razor blade to trim my edge up, hairline, whatever. And also my beard. All right. And then, you know, about towards the end of the haircut. Right. They make you lay back in the chair and he puts a hot towel over your face like this. This war sorry, warm towel. And all you got is your nose poking through. But it's just like the most relaxing thing in the world. And you just sit there for like five minutes, right? And then he comes back and then he goes around again with the razor, your beard, um, checking some other things, right? Cleans you up. And, you know, the barber, the haircut lasted probably like 45 minutes. Then he sits me up, gives me a mirror and asks me, you know, how it looks. I was like, dude, this is perfect. Hell yeah. Thank you. And I could just feel, again, that was a different experience of what I had been used to for the last six years, right? So. I said, okay, let me try this again. I come back two weeks later, same exact experience, the same exact routine, right? For six months, I've been going there. It's the same routine. And I schedule that barber shop. I schedule my haircuts on Thursday for self-care Thursday. So every two weeks on Thursday, I go get a haircut at Ferry Street Barbershop, right? There's a consistency there. There's a professionalism there. And like, I don't know how you are, but like if I have a good experience somewhere, I tend to become a little bit of a creature of habit and I will continue to come back and support. And like to the point to where like there have been times where my my fiance is like, oh, why don't you get a haircut here in Harlem? I'm like, no, I just want to wait till I get back to Newark to go to Ferry Street. And so brand loyalty is important, right? Because you know everybody talks about customer lifetime value, you know, especially in this age of SaaS and, you know, customer churning. But in order to prevent that from happening, I think it comes back to like, how do you make sure that when people spend time at your business, when people engage your brand, it's a freaking good time, you know? Maybe that's the thing that's undervalued is like, how do we ensure that our clients not only get immense value from whatever products or services that we're delivering, but they're also having a good ass time? And like mentally, what do they equate you with, right? So like for me, let's think Ferry Street Barbershop, right? On one hand, it's a barbershop, but because I also schedule it for Self Care Thursday, it's almost like a little spa day for me. And every time I see the owner, I let him know. I say, thank you so much, man. You guys are professional. I love coming here. And I told him I was going to write about him in my newsletter, which I'm going to do as soon as I hop off this, this podcast. And uh, the same thing with Mason Harlem, right? You know, the, one of the owners of Mason, every time he sees me and Simone, he's like, what's up, my brothers and sisters? You know, 
can I get y'all anything? Is there anything you need? And that just, again, it just, especially when you're in a city, I think that's the thing too, right? Like so many of us are so far away from home. We don't have family here. And so in a city, like your little community becomes almost like your little ad hoc family. And it's nice to be able to walk into a place and be seen and feel appreciated. And whenever I go in spots, especially when I'm a recurring person, like I spend a lot of money at spots that I enjoy and people don't recognize that and make you feel appreciated. Like there's no loyalty there. So I wonder, and I'm just kind of thinking about loud is like, what does it look like to just go a little bit extra? Right. And it's hard for some business models out there because y'all are just having so many customers. But like, I think it's important to really map out like those customer touch points, right? Because you never really get a second chance to make a first impression. And then once someone is there, right, it's harder to get new customers than it is to keep serving the existing customers as long as they're the right type. So I hope this makes you think about brand loyalty and some ways that you can implement it in your own business. You know, me just thinking out loud, right? There's the one-page marketing plan by Alan Dibb, and he has this great framework that I actually use for my stuff as well as some client work where it lets you think through the entire customer interactive process. It's like, and one of the sections on a one-page marketing plan is like, how do you increase customer lifetime value? And then also, I took a brand strategy course in 2021 with the Scott Galloway's Section 8, I think it was called at the time. And he has this thing called the clock model, where you really just kind of create a clock and you create touch points around the clock of customers. So you have, you know, pre-sale, then once the sale, and then the post-sale. And it's like, how can you maximize that opportunity? And so maybe I should talk about that on the next podcast. We can go into it um, in depth. Maybe not the exact next podcast, but a podcast here in the future and in the newsletter. So expect that to come. But other than that, I have one ask for you. If you haven't done so already, just make sure you subscribe to the Dog Whistle Brandon newsletter. We're ramping this sucker up. We're doing a re, not rebrand, but again, we're going to be incorporating some stuff with Drew um, from We Make Cool Shit in the newsletter as well. So a lot of exciting stuff, but I just want to make sure that you guys are subscribed. You know, I love putting out this free content. I love writing and I love sharing my thoughts via audio. And I just appreciate you all tuning in. And I hope not only that um, it um, provides value to you, I hope it also provides a little entertainment and fun to you. So appreciate you all. Until next time, peace, love. Have a great rest of your week. Dog Whistle Branding is brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media, where we blend strategy, storytelling, and podcasting to transform your brand into a dog whistle for your perfect customer. We believe that audio is the future of publishing, and we're committed to leading the movement. You can learn more by visiting our website, ironboundmedia.com. This series is powered by Mission Plus, a tech platform that helps nonprofit organizations upgrade their websites and leverage technology to deliver their services online. If your organization cares about its mission, then it needs to be built on Mission Plus. You can learn more by visiting missionplus.com. Mm-hmm.